This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everybody? Jeff Kasouf here with Claire Watkins on the latest episode of the Equalizer podcast. And we talk a lot of National Women's Soccer League on this podcast. We talk a lot of U.S. Women's National Team. But the big news of the week, the day, the hour is Utah Royals FC and the impending move to Kansas City. And you're not in a time warp. You are hearing that right uh, three years after FC Kansas City folded and Utah Royals FC came into the NWSL, essentially directly replacing the team for legalities, not moving. But um, it basically is a move back to where this franchise came from in, in so many terms. So uh, Claire and I are here to talk about a lot of that fallout. Uh, we'll give you kind of the details of this. Uh, we broke the news here on Saturday night uh, as players were informed and, and should note that it's not official at that point. Um, still some legalities to work out, but you'll hear us talking as if everything is done because the league is operating that way. As, as Even as we speak, um, things are moving along with uh, moving the franchise from Utah to Kansas City. So um, Claire, welcome. <laughs> uh, what, you know, what's your first reaction? We'll get into kind of laying things out for, for listeners, but what's your reaction here on, a, on an interesting and, and uh, I don't know, mixed feelings kind of weekend for the NWSL? Definitely mixed feelings. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, I think what I think happened a little bit for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people is that the, the Utah situation kind of laid dormant for a little bit where um, obviously Deloy Hansen was told to sell the team sometime this summer. I believe it was in early August. Um, the fall series happened after that. And obviously they had a coaching upheaval, which kind of pulled headlines and then we just hadn't heard a lot, right? We had heard that the sale was ongoing. They're going to find some, they're trying to find somebody and that Utah was operating as if a sale was going to occur. Um, and the other things happened, right? We had the expansion draft. We again went through the whole fall series and then reports started coming through that. Obviously they were hitting a deadline with this. I think maybe the first indication was something that, that you reported Jeff, which was, um, that obviously Utah was dealing with something of an allocation money freeze because it didn't make sense for Hansen to buy allocation money if he was selling the team, but also just a reminder that the team had not yet been sold. Um, and so I think that deadline snuck up on people. I felt like it snuck up on me. And so it was a lot of no news. And then suddenly a lot of news, right? Which is how this stuff happens sometimes. So I think that it was surprising in the way that, that information kind of started coming out, but also, I don't know you and I, I mean, you've been doing this much longer than I have, but I've been covering the league for a couple of years and this just happens sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think um, it does. And, and I'm trying to contextualize everything, you know, for, for the league, this league and even previous leagues, you know, I think, you know, some different things came to mind, even from WPS in terms of how do you contextualize this? But, but I think it is worth saying up front, you know, and I think from just chatting with you offline or, or off air, I guess, Claire, that, that for me, this, the, the thing to emphasize for maybe somebody coming to this space, this league, this news from a casual perspective or not, you know, in the weeds of NWSL is it's not the difference between this and three years ago, what I would say, there are some things that remain true and that are similar. And, you know, the NWSL is not out of the woods in different ways, so to speak. But this dilemma is isolated to something really specific happening in a specific market, uh, a market where 
no local buyers were found and, and maybe in some ways, because it's not a super, you know, appealing market in this grand scheme, it's not a huge market like in LA where people, you know, as people have pointed out the the LA team that's coming into the league has, you know, many of, uh, I can't even count the number of, you know, owners or investors, but um, I think that it is worth pointing out that this Utah problem is a really specific situation isolated to that and not necessarily three years ago where FC Kansas city folded, the breakers were on the brink. I mean, I would remind people, and and this has been reported, you know, it was reported at the time, like Utah Royals came into the league and NWSL in fall of 2017. And until like a few days before they held a massive press conference, which seems so long ago, you know, kind of playing up their arrival and, they basically were saviors of the league in some ways because it was a very difficult summer and fall for the league in 2017. Three days before, however many days before, they didn't know necessarily if they were going to be inheriting the FC Kansas City roster or the Boston Breakers roster. And that kind of paints a picture of where the league was at at that point. And obviously the Breakers went through that winter thinking they had a buyer. It fell through right on you know the day before the draft and, and that mess kind of played out. But um, at that time we were still sitting here saying, Hmm, what's going on with the league at a whole, as a whole, you know, now we're sitting here saying this was, um, it's still a problem. It's terrible for Utah. It's a fan base. 11,000 fans per game was far and away second best in the league, you know, top class facilities. Um, so losing that market is a problem for the league. It's a bad look, but, um, it's not a doomsday scenario for the league as a whole, which has people who want to get invested. We've heard about some expansion teams. We've finally seen some come to fruition in in big way with LA. You know, now you've got a Kansas city group that's has money. That's totally different. That's, you know, so I think that the Kansas city part is good. The Utah part, obviously not, but I don't think we're sitting here saying, wow, I don't know. Are we worried about, you know, the league as a whole? Right. I think, um, yeah, I think that's a good point because I, I definitely went through and, and I have a piece up on, on the equalizer about this, talking about this kind of before it all got finalized. And it's an interesting thing to go through mentally because I agree that this actually came about because the NWSL was operating from a position of, of power in that I, I think that, and I, this is no real condolence to, uh, to the Utah fan base, but I don't think the NWSL in past years might've even taken the moral stance here and made the owner sell because when you are dealing with a more vulnerable property, um, you don't have the negotiating power to necessarily take those stances. And we've seen that in a lot of different leagues and, and in many different years where you have, um, bad actors who can really sink a ship and, and the league lets them do it. And so I think, that was a huge positive. The fact that they did take that stance and they did make this happen. Um, But then they were exposed as the more vulnerable property. Um, The unfortunate thing here is that the NWSL and MLS are not affiliated. And I don't mean that in the way where I think that they should be, but that because MLS is the older more established property, probably if there was going to be an initiative to keep Utah soccer holdings together, that would have had to be a collaborative process with the MLS side. Um, and I'm not sure that happened. And, and so I think that it's, and then, you know, seeing that and feeling that and being reminded that women's soccer is the more vulnerable property here, it feels bad. And, and it does feel a little bit more like things that have happened in the past, but it's, it's a, you're right. It's a different situation. And I definitely think that this is not a failing of the league. I think the, I think I tweeted something like this where just, I think a bigger failure would have been out of fear of this kind of thing happening, or, you know, God forbid Utah having to fold entirely, they wouldn't have done anything. And so it's a complicated line to walk down. I think it's definitely, it's a marker of just how far we've come, but also a marker of how much further we have to go. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then obviously the fact that it's going back to Kansas city even yeah. makes that more, more stark in people's minds. Mm-hmm. Well, and so, so if you're listening and, and you don't have, um, you know, you haven't been following every single day here or every, every step of the way, there is a lot to unpack. I would encourage you to, 
log on equalizersoccer.com. We've got a lot there, um, not only from the here and now of what's going on, but um, through the months and, and certainly the athletic um, and from many different angles, including MLS and, and everything else. Um, NWSL MLS have, have been uh, on top of this story as well. But the, the short of it, if you need the catch up is uh, Utah, Deloy Hansen, own, owner of this Utah Soccer Holdings, which is Real Salt Lake and MLS, Utah Royals and NWSL, Real Monarchs and USL, two different stadiums, complex complexes, you know, a lot of real estate, um, a, a lot of different properties under this umbrella. And uh, in August, reports of a toxic work culture within the organization then evolves into detailed reports of sustained many years worth of uh, racist and sexist accusations against him. Very quickly, uh, NWSL and MLS respond, say they're investigating. And I, I would say very quickly after that, by early September, there was uh, announced a commitment by Deloy Hansen that he would, he had agreed to sell the property as a whole. But, you know, inevitably, as, as you just said, Claire, that might have meant piecing those things up. And so that was early September, mid-September, and then we get to hear where we are in December. And in between that, the short of it really is for the Royals, no local buyers emerged. There were talks, the Athletic reported this, I believe in this this initial Kansas City report that they had about the interest from the, the market that uh, Ryan Smith, who, who is a local billionaire who just bought the Utah Jazz, you know, that purchase happened after a meeting with Deloy Hansen when he was the obvious candidate interested in Utah soccer. And there was no interest in the Royals. Now, I don't know the why and how of that. I'm not going to make assumptions about it. It was indicated to me from some sources that part of that was just the fact that the Royals don't make money in a year that a lot of people lost a lot of money because of what's happening in the world. And I guess in some ways that's understandable. And to your point, Claire, you know, a reminder of sort of where things are for women's soccer compared to men's, even, you know, MLS not being that old. So uh, that brings us to, or brought us to here, which is Saturday. Uh, players were informed, Utah Royals players were informed by NWSL commissioner Lisa Baird that the franchise would be moving to Kansas City. Uh, we reported that on the Equalizer on Saturday night. And even with that, even though this sounds very backwards, uh, Deloy Hansen still needs to sign some paperwork. So legally, the deal was not complete. And I believe as of recording this and, and still getting, you know, having some messaging as we record this and right before that that's not officially done. But by the time you're listening to this, uh, it may well be officially signed. But again, the league is operating in a way that um, this is done. They've told the players. They've now had the Kansas City Ownership Group meet with the players virtually. So we're moving along to a world where uh, we're back to Kansas City. And, you know, look, the, the, I don't think this is a failure of the league, as we said. I have seen reaction, Claire, of, and I guess understandably, that Utah fans, some of them anyway, feeling, well, maybe many of them, feeling that the league has failed them in this process in that. Um, I guess the one thing that I've seen that, that I guess is, you know, something I hadn't thought of until I saw it expressed was this is – a flagship franchise for the league, a league that still has franchises that are struggling or have struggled traditionally. And they're now losing this incredibly supported market by way of one man being exposed as allegedly racist and sexist, and they are being punished in, in that way, um, which I don't think is wrong of them to feel, but there's also you know, I don't know. There's no local buyer. So that brings us to Kansas City. Right. I mean, I think this is unfortunately, and we've seen this happen in a, you know, a couple different ways this year. Um, this is, women's soccer is, is in this complicated space where it is considered a, a positive. It's considered um, a fight for equality it is considered something of a cause. It is a good thing. It is a progressive thing for our society, but it is also a business that functions under the same capitalism that everything else does. And I agree with the fan base. It, it's really awful that one person who has more money than, you know, 
probably, you know, any of those good fans will have for the rest of their lives. Um, and that is a bad person who has taken advantage of people. And therefore, instead of him having to suffer, because let's be clear, he was not, he was, this franchise was not taken away from him. He is selling it for money. Um, and, and instead it's being ripped away from, from people who have done nothing wrong. And that is one of the scary things about standing up to people who are perpetuating racism and sexism is that our society and our um, economy does not necessarily reward that, you know? And I think that that is a difficult thing to reckon with as well. And I, you know, I think that there are different way, different places to direct that energy. I think that you saw, and I understand this, you saw people getting very frustrated with the optics of, of Utah moving while Angel City is thriving, right? And I, I understand that. I've seen frustration with the league for not figuring out a way to work with MLS to take over the full property and, and wait. Um, I've seen frustration with, and, and I share this, frustration with people who have that kind of money and and could have stepped in and chose not to because they don't value the space. I think that there are a lot of very valid hurt feelings and they should be kind of spread out a little bit. Um, and, and I think that's hard. And I think sometimes just, uh, in, in these spaces, we look for narrative, right. And I think a lot of times we're also looking for positives and additions to the negatives, but someone did a bad thing. And in response to it, people who did nothing wrong were hurt. Um, and yet it still needed to be done, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that that is just a complicated kind of morality play that we're stuck in inside of something that is definitely just, you know, a, a numbers, it's a business. So yeah. it's complicated. Uh, and I would say I'm, I'm really struck by the fall from grace for Utah. Now, I mean, if you talk to some folks, obviously, you know, from the reports that we've seen, within the Utah organization that this was these issues, behaviors were kind of known for a while behind the scenes and maybe people didn't feel empowered to, to speak out. But, you know, you go from, as I mentioned, 2017, you know, if we're being, if we're being really general and blunt, Deloitte Hansen is viewed as, as a savior of the league, essentially, you know, with where that, where the league was at struggling, and, and franchises, two franchises folding and, and a lot of question marks and Utah being an MLS market, all of this commitment to equality, which, you know, tangibly, um, I guess, tangibly, uh, what am I thinking of, you know, more um, materially, I guess, you know, that was shown through, I mean, they built that locker room immediately. You know, I know that this has been poked at about, you know, online since this news has broken about like the robes that he gave out, which are, not part of that, but, you know, from a, from a playing at Rio Tinto, building a, an equal stadium, those things, they did happen, but, you know, unbeknownst to certainly the outside world, what was going on, maybe, you know, on internally in Utah. And that was 2017. And even as recently as six months ago, Utah, again, you know, the challenge cup happens and it happens in June when it gives the NWSL a platform as the first team pro sports league back and, you know, beating everybody else, at least the NBA and NHL. And, you know, and that platform happens because Deloy Hansen personally paid for, I, I haven't ever gotten a figure, but something in the six, maybe even seven figures in, in value of all of the real estate that he owns between the stadiums and the hotels that they used. And, you know, he was a big reason they made that happen. I mean, we're six, we're seven months removed from Lisa Baird, like singing his praises on a, on a national conference call. Right. So, um, you know, it just struck me how much that has changed for obvious reasons, but, right. um, I was well, going to, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, I think it does definitely speak with a lot of the things that people have been reckoning with this year, the, the duality of that, right. Where, you have someone who clearly their value system is off, right? But they still, through that value system, have done what were considered to be good things at the time. And I think also when you look at the jobs that he created when he took that team in, and, and but then also he did a lot of, of work this summer to undo that right. too, 
in terms of, of furloughs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I think that perhaps maybe the the lesson here, and I don't know how we fix this <laughs> because it's inherent to just kind of wealth and power that you see in sports is when you have one person with that much control and that much influence over not only a team, but also a league, they can do a lot of good and they can also do a lot of hurt. And you're relying a lot on the benevolence of that person to keep this thing moving forward. And I would also just kind of going back to what I was saying at the very beginning, um, the league, the NWSL and just women's soccer in general has a history of sometimes letting people who you're not quite sure (laughs) what their moral system is, but if they're going to do good things for this thing that you consider to be good, Mm -hmm. they'll let them do that. Right. Um, Yeah. So we're all kind of figuring out the new way to go forward with all of that, I think. Yeah. You know, this is, I don't want to compare the people at all, um, but I I do think that there's, you know, the difference, like I said earlier in in this chat of between the league being in trouble and, and, you know, in the past, I mean, the situation you're describing nine, 10, 10 years ago at this point, 10 years ago this fall was, you know, the Washington freedom right. needing some kind of a solution in a failing league and, and a league that was already sinking, unfortunately. But, you know, there was this hurried solution of this thing called Magic Jack and, and many crazy ideas. And, and that ultimately was, you know, again, a league that was in trouble already, but that was a nail in the coffin, you know, to, to uh, the WPS, to WPS because, um, of how that played out and, and it brought legal, you know, legal issues and everything. Um, so, uh, the one thing I did want to, to mention though, you know, from, uh, real quick before we shift, I want to talk more about Kansas city, but that you mentioned Claire on the Utah front and, and in regards to MLS, which I think is a much bigger conversation, but, you know, this was, and, and the athletic reported this about a week ago, I believe that there is a January 8th deadline for a solution with Real Salt Lake before MLS takes over the team, which I will say MLS has done in the past and it has not been super pretty, uh, but it has existed. But there is the difference there that there's enough cash flow and I would say even interest in investment there that that can happen and that team could be theoretically floated for a year maybe just a few months, however long it takes to get a solution. But obviously MLS does not want to leave that market, which has been a good market, has again, a ton of infrastructure built already at, you know, the idea that's not even, you know, maybe low on the list at this point, but like a, an amazing stadium that's not that old that would be abandoned is like, you know, a whole nother conversation of civic duties and everything else around the country. But, um, you know, I think that the thing here too that January 8th deadline, MLS, MLS and NWSL are both single entity operations, which have their own critics and their own issues. But MLS has some sort of mechanism in which they could force Deloitte Hansen to move on at that date that they've given him. The NWSL, for all we know, does not. So this was, to be really blunt, um, the Utah Royals franchise was either moving to Kansas city or folding. I am aware of some other interest from, from groups. I don't know how to classify it, but not serious enough, obviously to be better than the Kansas city option or maybe be a realistic option at all, but it wasn't local. So there is a difference here in, I think the way the leagues are valued and the sports maybe are valued by the greater um, again, to your point, maybe capitalists, uh, right. but also, you know, just how they're run. I, I do think the NWSL, could you have predicted something like this? Uh, maybe actually, maybe in some ways, but you know, it, it has always been reactionary to problems. And even this year when there was time to plan, I think they've been able to plan a little bit, but maybe should have planned even more. And, and obviously it was a reactionary year to some degree, but you know, I think this is again, like nothing, Hopefully there's a lesson learned there, I guess, right? That, that there's a mechanism in the future that if something like this happens, something can be done from a league perspective that's not, hey, Deloitte, we need you to sell this team and we're going to facilitate it. And, and even now, you know, every reporting that, that I've 
seen and everything that I've gotten from my sources are like, there's not a lot of specificity, but whatever the thing is, it's just being made difficult on Deloitte Hansen's end to make it finalized. Well, I think, right. So what we're talking about here, I would say, and this is just my perspective, I'm sure people have, have different feelings about it, are, you know, obviously the best case scenario would have been you have someone who comes in and wants the whole property and sees the vision in the growth of, of the women's side as well and, and all of that. And I think that, well, and this is maybe a good pivot over to, to the Kansas City part of the conversation. I, I say that the Kansas City moves, it's somewhere in the middle of uh, the value of possibilities. But the thing that you just don't want is I, you, you could just see maybe in a less proactive, you know, NWSL front office where the Utah Royals just have the life choked out of them in slow motion, where you have someone like Deloitte Hansen who has been told to, to sell this team. There's no mechanism in place for a deadline for that to happen. Deloitte Hansen is not interested in spending any more money on this team that he has been told to sell. The NWSL maybe tries to float them for a little bit, but suddenly, you know, the team doesn't have training tops or something. It just, you can just kind of see how this could have really gone in a direction that was actually devastating for the the players on that team. And not to say that this is not a huge upheaval in their lives, but I understand why the NWSL needed this situation to be resolved. Um, And I think outside of having someone local who was interested, they really had to do what they had to do because when you make that kind of a, a schism from somebody like Deloy Hansen, you need to get him out of there because it's not going to be good having him still as a party in that conversation. So I think that um, there's that. And then the one final thing I want to say about Utah in terms of the fans, and this is also maybe a good pivot to Kansas city is that I hope that this does not, turn too many people away from the league entirely. Um, I hope that nobody feels like Utah is being rejected here or what they brought into brought to the league at very short notice. You know, they were all in when they were in and I hope that they are patient and hopefully in the future they will get a you know a franchise back because what we saw in Kansas City was a similar situation right um and they have been patient and they've been positive and they're ready to take this new challenge on and so I I very much hope that Utah fans who feel totally burnt by this and you should um stick with the league for a little bit um and and kind of figure out their feelings about it because I do think that like you said they have the history of the support. They have the facilities. If there is a soccer team in Salt Lake City, they should be high on the list for expansion coming back there. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, certainly there's there's evidence of, of support. Uh, let, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk the Kansas City side of this because there's a lot of details still to to share for, for listeners that we've reported. And um, we'll get into some of the Kansas City side of this when we come back. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Equalizer podcast. want to make sure that you're also aware of the Equalizer's other podcast called Kicking Back, which I host. I'm your host, Jeff Kasouf. Each week, I speak with a player, coach, personality from across the world of women's soccer for insight into their career and some current events. It's a nice, casual conversation, hence we're kicking back. Recent guests have included Vladko Andonovsky, Christy Mewis talking about her comeback to the U.S. national team, Jen Hildreth, the voice of the NWSL, Kelly Simmons from the FAWSL, Vero Bocchette, and recently Heather O'Reilly. Really great conversations on kicking back. So if you like the Equalizer podcast, please go ahead and listen to kicking back. Find us on any podcast platform, including the one you're listening to right now. We have a couple more great shows planned for the end of the year and a lot more planned for 2021. Now let's get back to the Equalizer podcast.
Back here on the Equalizer podcast, Jeff Kasouf with Claire Watkins talking about Utah Royals FC moving to Kansas City. It's a franchise, Utah, that sprung up at NWSL in 2017 uh, by way of FC Kansas City folding. And uh, if you didn't think life was a circle, here we are with Utah moving to Kansas City um, for the 2021 season, which is preseason is less than two months away. So there's a lot of work to be done for this Kansas City franchise. So uh, if you subscribe to EqualizerSoccer.com, which as you probably know from listening to this, I encourage you to do for many reasons, including things like uh, reporting that we do and and get you facts and news uh, ahead of time in many cases. Uh, This is up from Saturday, uh, the players meeting of them being informed and some details on Kansas City, which the... I think the most controversial one that, that maybe is, is a place that we certainly should talk about, Claire, but I'll go through a couple of the facts here with um, the stadium situation. Sporting Kansas City obviously is one of MLS most successful teams uh, on and off the field, you know, in, in many ways. Um, it's certainly a market that's supported that team. Children's Mercy Park, where they play, will not be where this team is going to play. This team will start out at T-Bones Stadium, which is literally a block away from this beautiful Children's Mercy Park soccer stadium. T-Bone Stadium is a minor league baseball stadium. It's where the Kansas City Wizards played for a few seasons prior to moving into their brand new park and rebranding a sporting KC. It is not going to be an ideal situation, at least for the first season in 2021, as I understand, and, and stadiums don't always get done on time, maybe most of 2022. But uh, the plan after that, is to build a stadium specifically for this NWSL team, which is obviously an exciting thing. It is, I would say, one of the biggest things, maybe the biggest problem that FC Kansas City had in the time that it was spent in the league from 2013 to 2017, which was that it hopped around stadiums and none of them were the right solution at all. Um, and, and I think where they ended was, was pretty bad and ended up averaging about 1,600 fans a game in that final uh, problematic season off the field. So um, that's where things stand. The, the stadium, as I've reported, it looks like uh, the land identified would be right across the highway from this sort of sports complex area that Kansas City has, which is Children's Mercy Park, which is T-Bones Stadium, and all of that being right next to Kansas Speedway in a facility that uh, a development that's just been acquired by sporting Kansas city minority owner, Rob Heineman, who is, um, you know, not, not super involved with sporting Kansas city at the moment, as I understand. So I think there's a lot of complicated stuff here. That's not just, Hey, sporting Kansas city won't let them play there. Although, you know, I think that is a general point that can be made. Um, but he has another company that just acquired land, and is developing it. And as I've reported, part of that future development seems to include, according to many sources, um, building this stadium for the NWSL team, which, you know, is an exciting thing. Um, but I think the short term, you know, is, is not going to be great on the stadium front. I think the exciting part here that, that is also should be mentioned, um, the ownership group. So Angie Long and Chris Long, um, who are uh, the main, um, owners here, the main backers, and they are uh, part of Palmer Square Capital Management, which is uh, a local uh, capital management group in Kansas City that, that has been very successful on a, I guess, a global standpoint is, is the way to put it. And, and that's kind of the, the bigger capital here that's exciting. And then as I've reported on Saturday, um, as I understand, uh, Brittany Matthews, who is uh, a ex pro player and college player and, and would be known locally as well uh, in Kansas city. Uh, she's the fiance of Patrick Mahomes uh, is involved in some degree in the ownership group, which would make this a majority female owned majority woman owned um, ownership group. And that would be the first one first such to play and actively play in the league. Uh, LA is also going to be, majority woman owned and we'll start in 2022. So uh, a lot to digest there. Let's, I've talked enough, Claire, (laughs) impressions of Kansas city, which was a market that for obvious reasons, for many reasons did not do well in its first run in the NWSL. What do you think about how it's being set up for round number two? 
Yeah, I think, so the good news, right, is that this ownership group sounds very financially stable, certainly in the terms of how much it costs to run an NWSL team. Um, So that's good news, number one. Um, The sporting Kansas City element uh, hasn't appeared to have changed a lot. Um, And maybe, again, there's just this larger conversation of, wow, is MLS a good partner for the NWSL because we are, they dealt with a lot of MLS ambivalence in two different markets in this whole deal. So um, that is, that is maybe talk about learning lessons. It's something where the NWSL is maybe a little bit like, wow, MLS still, despite the fact that the NWSL is seeing growth year after year um, does not see the potential here that, um, that the, that we do. Uh, though also the Sporting Kansas City thing is just odd in that they aren't even entertaining a rental deal, which I don't know exactly what's going on there. You would think the stadium would want to have dates that were filled um, by someone playing soccer, mm-hmm. but who knows? Um, and then I think, right, so it's a little bit, <laughs> the idea of them kind of building this from scratch is a little bit nerve wracking, I'm sure, right? They're going to be playing on a baseball field, unclear exactly where they're going to be training, what their facilities are going to be like. I think they, one of, it was either, I forget if it was your report or or the athletics said that the league is trying to assist with kind of getting housing figured out. Um, There's still a lot of moving parts and then they have to build a staff because we don't know if any of Utah's staff is is coming over or, or what exactly is happening there branding is something that they're going to have to decide what the team is called, what it's going to look like. Um, So it's really early to say whether you think it's going to be a success, but I will say this. I think that there are going to be people in Kansas city who are going to think that the city is getting a soccer team for the first time. And I think that that is, (laughs) it's just true, but not necessarily bad. Right. So I think that they have a new opportunity to reintroduce themselves to the market that obviously does crazy numbers in terms of both NWSL and us women's national team TV ratings. Mm -hmm. And if the, and I think location is huge. And the fact that they found a venue that location wise is easy to get to, as opposed to being in a suburb or being outside of the, the, centralized area um is good and so i'm hopeful that we will find quickly that fc kansas city's 2017 situation is irrelevant i would Mm -hmm. like to think that um though obviously we just don't know yet yeah i mean certainly the the two different high school stadiums and then swope soccer park which was you know really a glorified you know main stadium of a youth complex is what they were playing in It, it didn't meet any minimum requirements of anything, you know, it wasn't a good setup. Um, So as far as sporting KC goes, look, I I don't, I don't want to boil it down as simple as sporting Kansas city doesn't care, but I do think there are a lot of questions that need to be answered from that organization. And maybe they have some answers. The only answer I've been able to glean from anybody is that they're worried about the field holding up, which, you know, is, is not a concern that I've heard in other markets that also have, MLS and, and NWSL teams and even USL teams and, you know, plenty of who knows what kind of events on those fields, but you know, th- that is a certain type of climate there. I realize, and you get in the fall and you've got a lot of playoff soccer and okay, but that's the only thing I've really heard, but you know, there, there will be reminders that, you know, twice FC Kansas city was sold first and kept, you know, first kept locally for a year and then sold. Well, folded and then Utah arose technically, but, you know, twice that F sporting Kansas city was not interested in or willing to, you know, keep them local. Um, so I think there are, you know, questions to, to answer there. And I'd be curious if we ever get a straight answer and what that is. I, I don't want to immediately, I don't want to paint too broad of a brush to say sporting Kansas city is some kind of a, a villain, but sure. I do, I do think it's worth reiterating the point that you just made clear that, you know, it was only about two years ago, roughly two years. Yeah. The, the two off seasons ago, really where we were at a point and, and I was reporting on some different potential expansion options groups interested, however, you know, whatever level along the way they were from inquiring to interested, serious. And it was very explicitly stated to me by many people in positions 
to make calls, let's say, or of influence maybe is a better way to put it, that there was a clear direction they were going for expansion candidates. And obviously that's about money and good markets, but there was the idea that a men's soccer group that is already doing this and knows how to make it work and has the facilities, that was the direction forward for the NWSL. And some people said that explicitly, some people kind of implied it, but it was very clear that the days of the small independent owner were gone, at least for entering the league. And, and I think we've even seen that, you know, increasingly of the remaining ones, even of, of the changes that have been going on um, within the league. But, you know, that I think has changed a little bit, thankfully. And I think this is a scenario again, that has shown that's not the only way. And the evolution of that is that the quote unquote independent is not so much, you know, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but you know, it, it was a smaller operation in previous right. leagues and previous years. And now the, the quote unquote independent, you know, LA is an independent in, in some regards, in, right. in any regard, Kansas city is going to be that, you know, it's independent, but it has significant capital minimum standards investment. Right. And so I think that I hope that that is a reopening of the imagination among the current board of governors and group of decision makers that there is not one path forward here. And by the way, there are success stories. Portland is the one we always talk about, sure. but there are reasons to be concerned about MLS NWSL setups, not just in this extreme way, but we've seen it in other markets just in a way of like, is this actually working? Right. I think, and this is just, this is just my opinion. And this is a much larger, larger conversation that I'm sure we'll be having for many years to come. Um, but I think what we've seen both with Utah and, and with Kansas City. And I think that if you're just looking at this in business terms, I, I don't know if you can say that they're wrong, which is that you people are protecting what they consider to be the core business. Um, whether it's, you know, the division of the assets in Utah or it's Kansas City being very mindful of what they use their facilities for, Sporting Kansas City, um, they are protecting their core business. And mm -hmm. I think an issue there is in, in that context, you're like, okay, that makes sense in a way. They're not affiliated with, with their women's team, though obviously Utah was. But that's, that's kind of what I'm saying, though, is that you don't want teams that are always going to be protecting their core business, what they consider to be their main business, which is the men, while having a women's side. Because that, you know, that isn't going to be good for the league and that's not mm -hmm. going to be good for those teams. And then the other thing too, and this is just me, <laughs> I think that the NWSL, dun, dun, dun. I know, <laughs> I think that the NWSL should hold higher standards for themselves than where MLS sits in the world. Um, MLS is its own style of soccer. It's its own thing in the grand scheme of global football. Mm -hmm. And the NWSL has the opportunity to be something for women's soccer that is greater than what MLS is right now. And I think that that is a difficult balance in that obviously MLS is more established. They have more money. That is an easier way, especially because obviously real estate is limited and venues are very important, all of those things. But if you hit your wagon to MLS too much too soon, you're limiting. I think you are limiting yourself because then you become something of an MLS property. And I think the NWSL in the context of women's soccer can do better than that. Well, certainly. I mean, if they're, they're claiming to, you know, they've got a rightful claim to being the best league in the world, certainly, right. you know, I guess the most competitive league in the world is where that argument always goes, but um, MLS is not that and, and nowhere in that conversation still. I mean, somewhere in the respectable category, but, right. you know, so, so that's a great point for sure. And I think, you know, to the point of even that as a geography conversation, the idea, I mean, I don't know, look, I don't know, is it, is it a good use of personal or taxpayer money to build a soccer stadium a uh, quarter mile from another great soccer stadium. That's brand new. I, you know, that's a different conversation, but the idea that, you know, a stadium is planned to be built specifically for this team is a good indication of that. And it's, you know, controlling what you can control, controlling rent, not paying, you know, playing second fiddle. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's a, a fair point. And, uh, I, yeah, I think also in that, in those terms as well, if you think about 
expansion bids. And, and one thing that I've heard uh, specifically is that the NWSL wants venues figured out when people make expansion bids because they don't want to end up at a high school, you know, field. They don't want to end up in those, those places where they've been in the past. Um, and so I think that if you think about this kind of being an emergency bid from Kansas city, where they just basically come to the table immediately being like, we don't have this all figured out right now, but we are going to spend money on it. And not only do we want to own this team, but we want them to be good. And I think that that is the conversation. It's just good that that is the conversation that's already being had. And I'm sure they will figure out the details in the future because we saw with Kansas city. And this is another thing, you know, about Utah is that absentee ownership can really sink a team. And so, they, this idea that they want to make an investment in Kansas city, they want this team to be competitive. They want to take it to the next level. Um, I'm sure it's probably part of the reason why the NWSL let them have the Utah mm-hmm. roster. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously you would hope, I mean, look, MLS went through this, the NFL went through this. Every league has gone through relocation, uh, even the big, bad NFL, you know, we're not that far from moved, removed. I mean, in our lifetime has had movement where, teams have are you gonna get me started are you gonna get me started talking about the cleveland browns jeff (laughs) you know we've had you know i can point to mls and say well san jose moved to houston and then san jose got a team back which is what is happening here to to some degree with kansas city but you know even the nfl you know the, the browns i mean there are multiple markets baltimore you know markets have been left they've returned and i think what we can take from this is that there are significant local ties to this and even if you want to you know I mean, these are people, all three names that have been mentioned here for ownership are tied to Kansas City for the long term, as, you know, best we can tell and understand. And hopefully that prevents, you know, in combination with the capital that exists and the investment that prevents this from happening again, at least for this team. I don't think we're done with this in the grand scheme of the league, right? But, you know, I think uh, hopefully it prevents that um, in that regard. So, you know, uh, let's, let's hit on a couple, maybe, I don't know if they're less important things, but, you know, we, we mentioned, is this an FC Kansas city redux? I don't know. I have not heard. Well, I've, I've heard the only thing I've heard on branding is that at least as of what I had sort of investigated that is not set yet. So I don't know if FC Kansas city comes back again, single entity. This is, um, the league owns all branding and licenses it back to teams. So, um, just like the Boston Breakers, unfortunately, and, and other teams have passed, um, the league reassumes ownership of brands that have ceased to exist. Um, so, you know, in theory, that's sitting there and, and there to be had. Do you start fresh? I would love to see the two stars return because for me, sure. just like I would argue that the courage where the flash should have that history and for some reason don't. And this is, again, I think legal technicalities and the league protecting itself, but this is the same franchise that moved away and is coming back for me. Right. I mean, that's, you know, in, in broad terms. So um, I don't know if this will be FC Kansas city. I'd expect some similarities and maybe to that point, the athletic in that report uh, right before Thanksgiving indicated um, or reported that uh, Hugh Williams, who was involved with FC Kansas city is involved in the bid uh, for this Kansas city team, or maybe we shouldn't call it a bit anymore, the, the movement. Um, and as I understand from sources, we'll be coaching the team. So um, I think that's also good news. And that, that's, um, you know, uh, for those that don't know is, is, you know, someone very involved in the scene at, at all levels and certainly will know, um, you know, again, this is maybe something Utah faced. This is something that expansion teams have faced through the years where they've tried to do this quick turnaround where, Building a roster, never mind a brand, is very difficult when preseason is less than two months away. So I think that's an encouraging sign to say this is someone who is going to know what's who he needs to get, what needs to be done, make a competitive team. And honestly, I don't know what to even make of Utah's 2020 on the field, certainly. Well, but, you know, an, an inter- yeah, an interesting angle on this, and this is maybe good to pivot into talking about some of the player movement that happened with Utah, is that – if you think of Utah, we, well, we weren't encouraged to, right? We were not encouraged to think of Utah as an extension of FC Kansas City. But mm-hmm. if you think of it now with, with their return as the evolution of one team, uh, the Utah project 
was never necessarily about building something super long-term. They, they picked up some pieces from a team that didn't do great in 2017. They had Laura Harvey as their coach for a couple of years. She left, um, I think pretty much ever since Harvey left, that is maybe the indication of when things on the field became very in flux. Um, and so now they maybe have a chance. And we saw some of this even with some of their asset movement um, this year that they need to start building a team for the long term at this point. Um, and so this is maybe an opportunity to make a, a clean, clean switch there. And, you know, Laura Harvey mentioned this, I think, after leaving was a bit more open about it, obviously. And, and she was on our podcast. Man, this feels like so long ago. This was... <laughs> 11 months ago at the convention and she talked you know to us about she was told to to go win so that's how she had to construct the roster and and you know I think from that standpoint obviously some disappointment two years missing out on the playoffs I think they were always a team well always those two years they were a team that was good not great it was always an offensive problem uh the the defensive side was was sound but yeah, I mean, we'll see what it looks like. And, you know, I, I think to your point, you know, you wonder now, I don't know. I, you know, Kristen Press is is playing for Manchester United. She's told us very clearly when she was asked about this uh, that she's a Manchester United player, which is exactly the, the case, obviously drafted by Louisville in the expansion draft. Louisville, excuse me. Louisville. Uh, Louisville. Um, but, you know, Utah – We've talked about this on this podcast. I mean, there are reasons, and, and we mentioned Deloy Hansen saying he's not going to spend, he's not going to buy into allocation money. So Utah felt they needed something to go work with on the transfer market and felt pressured to get some money back and saw that maybe as an opportunity. But now you have a team, um, I don't know, I can't speak for them. Maybe we can ask them, the owners and, and coaches and staff, when it comes to pass here and it's public but and they speak. But um, this is a team that – just traded away Kelly O'Hara and just didn't trade away, but let Kristen Press walk away, the rights to her anyway, and, you know, knew that it might not exist. I mean, by the point of the NWSL expansion draft, this Kansas City bid is at least realistic and, and really probably at that point even the leading possibility. So, and even if it's not, you, you're getting a new owner guaranteed, right? Or you're folding. So uh, it is a little bit curious that your two, I guess your two biggest stars left at that point, um, just walked away when a new owner, I'd be curious if they would have wanted them. Yeah, I think um, in positive news, and I don't know exactly if this is positive news for Utah fans or, or for upcoming Kansas City fans, but I, I think that definitely certainly it probably put you know utah general manager stephanie lee into a tough position where she was probably encouraged by the league to keep operating as if everything was fine because it doesn't do anyone any good for things to stop prematurely um and right it was never going to be fully cohesive they had amy lapelba as the interim head coach as as you said um going to be neither the head coach of, of utah or of kansas city uh, though obviously you would hope that someone would have a place for her because she's someone that you want to keep in, in the league. But um, I, you know, it was also kind of odd. They moved the expansion draft up. Uh, they moved the expansion draft to the week before when the original final was supposed to be played. So that was a choice that they made, I think, to keep to get the ball rolling a little bit, but maybe feels a little bit premature now, though. I think if you look at Press O'Hara and, and even going back to Becky Sauerbrunn um, before the 2020 non-season, um, those were all three specific situations where two of them you have players who wanted to go home mm -hmm. and, and one of them you have a player who is enjoying exploring you know, other options. So I don't know how much of that is actually necessarily fully related to the other turmoil in the Utah front office. I would also say, looking back on that Sauerbrunn deal, that was fair. They got a lot of money for that, um, with more coming in this year right, and coming. a very good player in Elizabeth Ball. Um, the, it's more the Press and O'Hara deals where it feels like their current situation forced their hand a little bit, mm -hmm. um, especially because obviously the O'Hara trade was reported 
months ago and then that clearly <laughs> fell through because of assets that Washington didn't want or maybe Washington didn't want to move and then they just sold her for cash. So I, I don't know exactly um, how to rate that. Though, like I said, you look at O'Kelly O'Hara, you look at a Becky Sauerbrunn. I think obviously you take Kristen Press any day of the week, but if she is, that's not, not something that she wants, you can't make her. Um, it's okay to move some of the older players off of that roster and pick up good younger ones that was going to have to happen at any point, at some point in the near future anyway. Utah has always been a very old roster. So, you know, maybe it's a head start and, and you hate to see it happen because of other circumstances, but I think there's more, there's a brighter, there was a brighter future for Utah's roster and now Kansas City's roster um, than maybe it feels like in, in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They and don't have any first round draft picks though. They might want to fix that. <laughs> well, they get one. Well, we'll see if they get one, I guess, out of the O'Hara trade. Um, that's, that's a conditional one, but I know that I, I think it's fair to assume that by the time the O'Hara trade was made, not the press decision by any means, but the O'Hara trade that the, the Kansas city folks had some sort of say, I would think, or, or I would say, so um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, I, th- I think, to the point of going young, I do think Hugh Williams is, is somebody who is well-versed to recognize talent. I mean, we should say, I mean, he was on Vlako Andonovsky's staff, a big part of, you know, that FC Kansas City success and that roster build and is, is tied into the youth system and seen certainly locally, but even nationally and, you know, has coached players that are in the league. So I think, um, you know, it, it is encouraging in that sense that there could be some young talent that, you know, I don't know if it's a Washington type situation, but at least sort of to overhaul um, that that roster. So, um, all right, well, we, we've been talking for a while here about this, like you've said a couple of times, Claire, I mean, we're not done talking about this, as I said at the beginning and a couple of times, this still needs to be officially announced. And, and at least as of reporting on Saturday and recording this today, um, here that this still needs to be signed on the dotted line by Deloy Hansen um, and, and some sort of legalities that, that need to be figured out that the league is moving forward under the uh, assumption that they will be, or, or the, yeah, that they will be figured out, but um, plenty more to talk about in the, in the coming days and weeks, I'm sure. But any, any last sort of thoughts as we, on the initial reaction here, Utah moving to Kansas city. Yeah. I mean, I think, it's possible. And I think we saw some of this on social media last night. Um, for us in the media, we've maybe had a little bit more time to wrap our brains around this. So I don't know if this is exactly where fans heads are at. Um, we're still kind of grappling with the the situation, but it's good to get things settled. I think that's great. I think it's important going into the college draft. I think it will help move some, some trades that maybe we're waiting to get this situation finalized. Um, I think that an answer is better than no answer anytime. And even if it's not the one that you were hoping for, it's better than nothing. So I'm hopeful that now we can kind of close this chapter. We say this all, it's like every year. We're like, well, maybe we can close this chapter and move, move on to better things in the future. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I think, um, I think I'm just, I'm ready for, I'm ready for a, I'm ready for the NWSL to be getting ready for a normal league season, which I think mm-hmm. the new schedule is a good step forward with that. And then I am ready just to know where everyone's going to be and plan for that, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't think we're done with, I mean, I feel like every off season is going to be some level of, of something and, and hopefully that's more positive, right? Like it's expansion and not right. relocation contraction, but I, I don't think we're, I don't mean it as an ominous thing. I just don't think we're out of the woods on that from, from, it's a, it's a growing league. It's a young league, but um, yeah, I agree with you. Looking forward to uh, a normal season. So, um, well, that's, that's uh, so if you're listening, you know, by the time you listen to this, even if you listen to it immediately, there will probably be further updates. So again, I want to encourage you. We've got a lot of reporting on equalizersoccer.com. Subscribe there. We've got uh, year round coverage, reporting, in-depth features, interviews, exclusives, you know, it's well worth your monthly or, or annual fee uh, to, to join us. So equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe. There will be plenty more updates on this situation as it 
evolves and there's plenty of original reporting already up on that. So um, we will keep you posted. Hopefully this was enlightening for you, whether you're new to this news or been following along. And if you need any background again, uh, hit up the website and, and do a little bit of Googling because there's a lot more to this of nuance, obviously. Um, Claire, thank you. Good chat. And um, thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Purdy, who is always making us sound good on this podcast. And we will be back next week, maybe with some further resolution or answers. Um, but thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. 